It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Every now and again, an innovation comes along that changes the way we live so much you can't quite remember what life was like before it. For people in towns and cities all over the world, Uber was one of those innovations. It made travelling by cab quick, convenient and surprisingly cheap. They would charge us a lot less than they were actually giving the driver. And so, literally, at one point, Uber was losing, say, $3, $5 more on every single journey its investors were helping subsidise cheap taxi journeys. But like many businesses, faced with staff shortages and rising post-pandemic costs, Uber seems to have hit a wall. There's a lot of sceptics out there. There are even investment analysts who kind of say this is a dead company walking. There are questions about how long can it go? Is what used to be the go-to ride-hailing app in trouble? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, is Uber over? If you're an Uber user, you must have noticed it in the last six months. Those strange moments when... There are just no Ubers available at all. Or if there are, you have to wait a long time for them to arrive. For journalist and author James Ball, the trouble started back in November. I'd done the classic thing of going to see friends on the absolute opposite side of London, where the last train's about 10 (laughs) o'clock, heading to go home at about midnight, and Uber was showing me eight minutes, and then... That cancelled, and then another one came up about three minutes later, showed me ten minutes, and then that cancelled. I was feeling that immense frustration of, oh yeah, I forgot, you can't really rely on that now, how am I going to get home? And I remembered the day before a female friend had talked about being stranded in Leicester Square at 4am. Tell me a bit about your relationship with Uber, I mean, how much do you use it and when? I mean, probably more than I should do, to be honest. As long as the tube is running, I will never take an Uber. I'd much, much rather use public transport. I think it's quicker. I think it's easier. I don't then have to worry quite as much about, is the driver underpaid? 
But I think we've all got a bit used to, if you can, something a lot more affordable than a taxi that's sort of a reliable way home. And I'm a six foot three tall man. I don't worry too much about safety traveling home at night, but I've got a lot of friends who use Ubers because it tracks where you are. They turn up to the door, they're quite reliable. And so I think it has a role to play. And did you find that your usage of Uber, I mean, did it change during the pandemic? I mean, I think like most people, I don't think I took an Uber for about a year and a bit (laughs) because I barely left my house. I needed to do a few work things. And so you had a little while of sort of travelling in hermetically sealed Ubers. You know, you're sort of in a mask and a big sheet of plastic between you and them. And the drivers would be telling you that they were losing a fortune and there was hardly any work. So you can sort of see why maybe uh, a few of them looked away. When they were sort of talking to you, did it feel like this could be the moment that things come a cropper for Uber? What was sort of quite telling was the people that you would speak to, and this is very much backed up by things the companies have said and the, the unions have said, a lot of Uber drivers switched to delivering food. Some of them still for Uber because Uber Eats offers that service, some for Deliveroo, etc., And once people had kind of got used to doing food delivery instead of passengers, quite a few of them seem to have not moved back. I think in part because it turns out food delivery keeps you in a local area. You don't suddenly get food wanting to go from Finsbury Park to Brixton. Food doesn't throw up in the back of your car or argue about the route. A very good point. (laughs) And so I think quite a few people who switched kind of went, you know what? I don't feel a massive need to switch back, actually. That explains a lot because, you know, we all noticed it last year. You'd be waiting half an hour for an Uber and then it would charge you surge prices three times what you'd normally pay and probably cancel anyway. It was really frustrating. It does feel like it's a bit better now and I guess that's partly because people just aren't going out as much and there was a price hike back in November. But the problem seems to be deeper than that. And it's not just London where Uber's been struggling, is it? It's not just London and it's not just the UK. There are sort of international problems on it. And it isn't just Uber. Uber's got rivals. You know, at the moment, there's Bolt, there's Captain. Both of those have actually, the companies themselves have said they have a shortage of drivers. Uber, I think, says that tens of thousands of drivers didn't come back. But the number of people wanting to ride is back up actually above pre-pandemic levels. So the shortage is very real. What you tend to find people around the industry say is this is supposed to be a very classic case of economics. If supply is higher than demand, the price should go up. But Uber seems very reluctant to let the price go up. And I think part of that is understanding that it kind of redefined what we expect something to cost. You know, I think a lot of us who never ever used to take black cabs and rarely took a minicab ended up taking Ubers maybe once or twice a week. That wasn't just convenience, it was because it was much cheaper. And they've set in our heads now what we feel like these things should cost. And so trying to get it back up to the levels before isn't actually as easy as it looks. And James, I mean, it wasn't always like this. Take me back to the early days of Uber. You know, where and how did it start and what was the big vision? 
Well, do you remember when we all used to talk about the sharing economy rather than the gig economy? It didn't last long, but that was definitely a moment. It was very fluffy <laughs> and sort of altruistic as it was framed. So it started, of course, on the west coast of the US, where all of these things start. And the idea at that time was that regular people would just use their regular cars every now and then in their free time, drive people about. You might even just sort of turn the app on on your commute to work and see if anyone wanted to go the same way, roughly. And so there was this idea of it would be the sharing economy. It wouldn't be exactly like professional driving. Now, that got dropped really pretty surprisingly early as they realised that people were switching from being minicab drivers to doing this. And also when they realised customers hated dirty cars and people didn't feel safe necessarily walking in someone's 15-year-old battered-up Oldsmobile. And Uber did the thing that tech companies do. It offered drivers a lot of money. As people say, as tech investors who I've spoken to say, it's quite easy to sell $10 for $5. I can make a lot of sales very quickly if I do that. I mean, just explain, because it's, it's such an interesting idea, but how exactly was that working? How were we getting such cheap rides while drivers were still being paid quite well? It's this very rare case where basically millionaires and billionaires were subsidising your taxi journeys. Uber raised billions and billions from venture capitalists and from funds and from all sorts of places. And it used a lot of that to attract drivers to its network. And so drivers would get a certain rate per mile and often bonuses if they did a certain number of journeys per week or per month. And Mm. so people, if they hit their targets, might get a $2,000 bonus in their first month and still get four-figure bonuses in their second and third months. Wow. At the same time, they would charge us a lot less than they were actually giving the driver. And so literally at one point, Uber was losing, say, $3, $5 more on every single journey, which, as I say, basically means its investors were helping subsidise cheap taxi journeys. Now, the problem is you can't do that forever. No, I mean, I'm not a business whiz, but that's not a great business model. (laughs) That's not sustainable, right? Exactly. It's so obvious that even journalists like us can see the problem (laughs) there. What would happen is... Uber would carry on doing this in every new city that it moved into. But once it got established, what got given to the drivers would get cut and get cut and get cut. And the prices that you pay as a passenger would go up a little bit, but not quite as much. But the drivers would sort of suddenly find they were working more and more hours to keep the same amount of money they were getting. But they didn't really, at this point, have an alternative because lots of people had moved to Uber. Mm. And so you had this kind of disillusionment coming among the drivers that would build over time. We're here at Uber's headquarters where more than 100 drivers are on strike and they're urging all Uber drivers to do the same. They say the company continues to cut into their earnings without cutting into its own take from each ride. Uber recruits drivers with the promise of good money, a flexible schedule, and the freedom to be your own boss. But after the company cut fares by 15% on Friday, drivers say Uber's taking them for a ride. And is why we saw some of the union drives and the court cases that we've seen. And so Uber managed to spread very fast. It got a big reputation for bait and switching drivers, who in turn got very, very savvy about tricks on the app to maximise the rides that they wanted and the journeys that they wanted. 
That's so interesting. Tell me about those. So one of the reasons drivers cancel on you so often is that they can't see the destination that you want when they accept. And the theory is that if a driver cancels on you, they can't take a new booking for five minutes or 10 minutes. The idea is so that you don't have an awful experience. But I don't know if this one still works or not. But for a while, if you force quit the app very, very quickly after accepting, the app would assume that there'd been a glitch and give you the benefit of the doubt for not being on the order anymore. So you'd get a very quick cancellation and the driver wouldn't be penalised. There are all sorts of little bits like that. I've had drivers in the past asking me to cancel the ride for them. Yeah. As you say, in the early days, when it was sort of compensating you for if it took more of your time, it did seem like the perfect way of travelling. It was cheaper than everything else. I mean, just remind us of the big vision, because for a while it seemed like maybe people just wouldn't need to own cars anymore. Driving down make-believe lane is what Uber hopes is a very real future. Oh, he blew a stop sign. This is Uber's self-driving test track in Pittsburgh. I think this was also part of the strange thing about Uber. It did, for a time, really, really stake a claim in working on self-driving cars. The cars are cautious. They operate at 25 miles an hour or less, allowing more decision time, sometimes more than a human driver would need. Even Uber admits they sometimes fail tests. And this is quite difficult for it to spread with its vision of Drivers will make more money and get more work because people will use them a lot more often. You know, they'd sort of argue minicabs and taxis spend loads of time sitting around empty. So you'll make more money, even though each journey gets you less. Drivers will get around, passengers will get around more safely. People won't need cars, so it'll be good for the environment. And then they could scale the whole thing up and make the investors happy kind of by screwing over the drivers by taking them out of the equation. Self-driving technology is absolutely fundamental to Uber's business. If they cannot get drivers out of cars, they probably will never be profitable enough to be a viable business. Uber still loses money. They can make their adjusted profits look positive for the first time ever. They managed that this quarter. But actually, their cash balance goes down by billions every three months. And so the only way they can make it work is if they don't have to pay drivers each time passengers go, which meant they put loads of investment into self-driving cars. But there wasn't really ever a reason to think Uber was going to solve the problem of self-driving cars any better than Tesla or a major car manufacturer or a huge company like Google. If Uber had had any luck with driverless cars, that would have been hugely problematic for all the people who'd signed up as drivers. Yeah. And I mean, when the company was really looking into it, they still have a stake in uh, company researching driverless cars, but they've spun it off and they sort of accepted it's not going to be the cure-all for them. But it meant with one hand, they were saying to new drivers, hey, come, you know, earn a living, be part of the sort of Uber experience, be your own boss. Out of one side of their mouth, they were saying that, and out of the other, they were sort of saying to investors, just look how great we'll be where we can get rid of these annoying bloody drivers. (laughs) And so you can see why people start feeling quite lukewarm towards them as a employer slash place that you do freelance work with. And that does seem to have been sort of one of the first 
big hits on, on Uber's reputation is all, all of the news that was coming out about working as part of the gig economy and the impact on workers' rights. I mean, just remind us, talk us through how that's evolved since Uber started. In several countries, they've faced either union drives or union-backed lawsuits for drivers to get recognised as employees because the argument is they're not really freelance. Their hours and how they work get dictated by the app. There's lots of reasons to believe that it's not providing a service to freelance riders. They have so many requirements that effectively these people are Uber employees. The Supreme Court has ruled that a group of Uber drivers must be treated as workers rather than self-employed, a decision which means they could be entitled to a minimum wage and holiday pay. The decision marks the end of a five-year legal battle. Now, in the UK, this got all the way up to the Supreme Court and the riders won. They won the right to unionise. Uber drivers are represented by GMB. They won the right to sick pay and holiday pay. Which clearly weren't part of the original business model. No, they absolutely weren't. And that, of course, once again, (laughs) increases Uber's costs and increases Uber's headaches. It's been a terrible year. Allegations of sexual harassment, investigations into poor corporate culture, and a lawsuit for allegedly stealing trade secrets. And a host of senior managers quit, partially due to first quarter losses of more than $700 million. Uber also seemed to take a real hit in its reputation when it it just seemed to lose a lot of its most senior staff. What was going on? To be fair, losing the staff probably really helped its reputation because they were awful. It just got this reputation as this really bro-ish, trashy company where sort of sexism was rife. It was sort of the worst kind of Silicon Valley culture. There were some sort of various harassment allegations made against senior people and its toxic culture, sexual harassment. It lost its chief operating officer, its chief technology officer, its chief financial officer and its chief executive, all within a couple of months of each other. And of course, its chief executive at the time, Travis Kalanick, was also its founder and a major, major shareholder and got fairly unceremoniously ousted by the investors. And so his successor has managed to right the ship on that front, at least. It's not had those kind of bro-ish accusations anymore, but it's hardly a much-loved company. I mean, particularly for people who support black cabs and the existing systems in in each country. You know, I mean, I remember being in in an Uber once in South Africa and they were terrified because a lot of the traditional cab companies were beating them up for working for Uber. That seems to have sort of hit Uber's reputation a bit too, doesn't it? I think, again, because it was so anxious about not being seen as an employer, it really kind of tried to not get involved in some of that. But it got quite complicated because often as well, Uber would operate in quite legal grey areas, become popular with the riders and sort of use the app to lobby riders if City Hall tried to close them down, which really opened up the drivers to backlash, like firstly to legal consequence and to fines, but as you say, to vigilante action. Uber has upended Europe's heavily regulated taxi industry. In recent months, there have been protests in Italy, Germany and Spain, where the government has banned the service. 
The taxi strike by thousands of drivers across the country created traffic jams, travel chaos, stone throwing, and fistfights. In Paris, Marseille, and Lyon, and other cities, airport entrances were blocked, and expressways were shut down by burning tires. Licensed legal operators who were quite annoyed that someone was coming in and would take it out on the drivers that would work for it rather than other people. And so, you know, people would hide the Uber logo if they were doing a pickup or sometimes ring people and ask them to come around the corner so they could be picked up where you couldn't see a taxi rank. It kind of happened across the country and it was Uber's business model that opened up its drivers to that kind of problem. And the problems for Uber drivers didn't stop there. Coming up, we look at how Uber changed the gig economy and where the big tech disruptors are causing more harm than good. But first. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and every day on my show on Times Radio, we speak to some of the biggest names in the world of the arts, culture and politics. We bring you discussions about new social trends and all the latest news, views and interviews. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. One of the ways in which Uber was able to expand so quickly 
was because they didn't have to stick to the same rules that other cab companies did. It was funny, I was at this tech conference in Lisbon with loads of the world's CEOs and senior tech execs. I was sitting backstage, ready to go on stage, writing this tech story on Uber, sitting on the floor of this backstage area, ringing uh, Lancashire, (laughs) (laughs) because journalism never quite works sensibly. This company, Middleton Cabs, is doing what you would hope independent mini cab companies would do. They're sort of relying a bit on their relationships and on being local, but they've made their own app. So they've got a middle-to-only ride-hailing app as a rival to Uber. But they sort of say even then it, it feels very unfair to them. They don't have the development budget. They don't have the the central stuff, and they can't go and lobby Westminster. Mm. Whereas Uber, when it was having its various disputes with uh, Sadiq Khan, every single Uber user in London had messages flashing up on their app warning them about what the new regulations would do and asking them to contact their MPs. You know, they've got some very senior former political operatives on their public affairs teams who can get into all the key departments in government and even, you know, with the opposition. And so there is that sense among a lot of the independent companies that this thing's come in and actually suddenly, despite being an American company, has much, much better access to British lawmakers than they could ever dream of. Which is remarkable. I know that there are sort of so many strict rules that govern minicab services and taxi services. They can't go across local authority borders and Uber can. And that's a huge source of dispute there. And no one's quite sure why it's the case, but it just seems that they're licensed slightly differently and it makes all the difference. In some ways, they're just asking for a level playing field. They're not even asking for special favours. And I think they could have a case to argue for special favours, really. You know, do we not want some locally owned independent businesses as well as multinationals? Well, particularly if Uber stops performing, which is what we seem to be seeing now. James, is this just a post-pandemic dip? Do you think this is a permanent change? I think the difficulty is Uber can't do what it used to do and burn through money in the way it used to. Investors have sort of clocked that Uber's not two years old anymore. Uber is an established company. It's uh, far more than a decade old. And at some point, it needs to start making money. Facebook, everyone was quite happy for Facebook to lose money for a long time. But then suddenly they kind of went, yeah, but you do need to make cash at some stage. And of course it did. Facebook made about $30 billion in profit last year alone. That's profit as well, not sales. And Uber is struggling to sort of turn the tap and start making profit. As I say, they managed to sort of show their first book profit in the last quarter. But it adjusts that. So it takes off its debt repayments, it takes off stock options and all sorts of other things, which is a bit like saying, you know, I made a profit this month if you don't count my rent, my council tax and what I spent on beer. It's not a real number. And even after they massaged it that much, they only made eight million in profit. Worldwide? Worldwide. And that's with this being this fake profit. Whereas what happened in the first six months is they spent $952 million in cash. And so Uber can't carry on 
paying a driver $10 and charging us $8. It's having to try and make a profit on each trip. And that means that to get the prices that drivers will take the journeys on, they're having to charge us more. But it doesn't seem to be hitting a level where people are willing to pay for it and drivers are willing to do the journeys. There is famously a tight labour market at the moment and people have decided there's better ways for them to be spending their days and making money. About two days after this piece in the Sunday Times came out, and we believe in response to it, Uber's global chief executive gave an interview to The Standard and announced he was hiking the standard rates in London by 25%, which, you know, I might not have broadcast to all of my mates. So not the kind of change that makes you popular. No. (laughs) Well done, James. (laughs) But I have to say, the one time I tried to get an Uber, it still cancelled on me three times and still took forever to arrive perfectly lovely driver once he did but the days of kind of feeling like you can order an uber as you're leaving a friend's house and it'll be outside when you get to the garden path it's just not there you sort of order it and when you think you might want to leave in the next 40 minutes (laughs) and it sounds like the prices are going up to much closer to sort of traditional taxi prices anyway yeah and actually this is the sort of point tech CEOs who didn't work in the gig economy and executives would say to me, they'd kind of go, look, things like Google and Facebook could scale hugely because you don't need a human every time someone uses your service. If you do 10 times more Google searches than you did last year, they don't need 10 times more staff. If you take 10 times more Uber journeys, they need 10 times more drivers. There's no magic sort of scaling curve that gets them there. They're actually a real world business. They're not a digital company where new rules apply. And that was what WeWork found. They were selling office space. Office space costs a certain amount per square foot. There's no magic digital thing that fixes that. Airbnb is increasingly found that. It's competing with hotels. It's not got that revolutionary scale. And so there's quite a lot of companies that are traditional companies masquerading as tech companies, and they're finding that they can't necessarily magically scale in the way that others could. I mean, the worrying thing about that is that each of the companies you've just named, WeWork, um, Airbnb, they came in, disrupted the market, and quite often really damaged the competition, sometimes shut down the competition if they now start to fail, yeah, <laughs> what happens to us? What happens to the consumers? Exactly. And I think this is why if I never hear move fast and break things again in my life, <laughs> it will be too soon because it's like, yes, you moved fast, you broke things, and then you didn't replace them with anything better. Yeah. And we've either now got to rebuild what we had before, which won't feel as good as what we had for a while, or we're just left with nothing, or you have to stick to you and you're now sort of much less good terms for us. This is the big risk with restaurant delivery stuff at the moment where restaurants can't really not be on Deliveroo or Grubhub or Just Eat or whatever, but they make much, much less money on it and a lot of them are really struggling to survive. Places sort of come in impose themselves on these existing ecosystems and markets and don't really have to face the consequence if it doesn't work out. 
And so maybe, hopefully, the one thing that we learn from it is we we shouldn't automatically try and change the rules to suit an innovator and a new entrance. Maybe we should try and take a bit of time to evaluate it first. I think there is a place for something like Uber. People do want it. There's a reason people used it. And it wasn't just that it was cheaper. It did feel safer for a lot of people. It did provide a service that was wanted. Mm. But did it have to do it in this quite destructive way? When you wrote this story, I mean, what was Uber's response? They say that demand is now actually 20 to 40% higher than it was before the pandemic. So they're sort of saying more people than ever want to use the service, but they've lost a lot of drivers. Some people around Uber on background were saying there were particular problems in London because of the low emission zone. And yes, they're upping the prices. And James, is this now then the end of the ride-hailing app? I mean, I don't think so. Investors clearly don't think so. It's still worth tens of billions of dollars in market cap. It does acknowledge that it's got a problem. In the UK, it says it's trying to hire 20,000 drivers to match its demand. And I mean, it doesn't seem to particularly have a plan for doing that beyond that sort of rate hike that uh, they announced in the wake of that news story. They acknowledge that this problem is real. It isn't just that you and I and our friends have particularly bad luck. But they seem to say they can turn it around and they can make it a profitable business. Of course, they would say that. Clearly, people who vote with their feet, with their cash, believe them. There's a lot of sceptics out there. There are even investment analysts who kind of say this is a dead company walking. I don't know if I would go as far as that, but I think there are questions about how long can it go? Can Uber actually exist as a profitable company that will attract drivers who earn enough to make a living? And I don't think they've answered that question to the satisfaction of most of us yet. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, journalist and author James Ball. The producer today was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. We do read all of them. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.